How many here, how many here have siblings? Yeah, siblings, brother, sister. How many of you have uh, more than, I don't know, three siblings? Wow. Cheryl, how many do you have? Four brothers. brothers. And where are you in the... uh, I'm number four. You're number four. Were you spoiled by your brothers? No? No? So, Karen, you raised your hand that you have more than three siblings. How many do you have? Five? That's in... So you're six in total? Wow, yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I met someone to this past week that has uh, um, 13 in total, including them. So, How many of you fought with your siblings? <laughs> huh? Okay, Kyo and Kai are both raising their hands back there that they fight with their siblings, right? Yeah. How many of you win the fight against your siblings? Georgia? Are you telling me you and Gavin do not fight? Yeah, you do? Okay. Does he win the fight? Sometimes? Okay. You know, whenever I fought with my sisters, I felt like I wanted them out of the house. I shouldn't say sisters. I fought with one sister the uh, middle child. I was the oldest. Rosalind was the baby. Rosalind and I were ten, uh, are, are 10 years apart. But Eleanor and I are similar. We're highly emotional people. And we can flip a switch from smiling to anger just like that. And then before you know it, my mom comes running into the room and saying, Eleanor! Ro, Edre, uh, she, she's like going through all the names because she can't remember my name for some reason. Has that ever happened to you? She'll, she'll run into the room and say, stop fighting. You should love each other because that's all who you really have is your family at the end of it. But when I fought with my sister, El- Eleanor, I remember grinding my teeth clenching my jaw. You know that feeling? That anger that burns within? Or maybe you're not one that gets angry. Maybe that's very foreign to you. Maybe you feel like, Edre, I don't know what you're talking about when you're, when you're talking about clenching your jaw because I don't get angry. Instead, I'm that type of person that just wants to be left alone. I go off in the corner. I cry. What about you, Dad? What did you say? You get even. Oh, revenge seeker there. Okay. So, so I will say this. Anger is not a sin. Depression is not a sin. But the action that you take afterwards, that's what becomes a sin. <laughs> Jose is pointing at Bob for taking revenge. <laughs> You did say it. You said you seek revenge. Yeah. Well, that's what our topic is today. Part two of the shadows of your heart. Two weeks ago, we went to Psalm 139, and we're going to go back there today, where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Two weeks ago, we unpacked verse 23, part A. Part A was search me, O God, and know my heart. Just a quick review, what we learned that Sabbath is that David is the one that is asking God to search my heart. And we remember the Hebrew word there, it's kakar. Kakar means to thoroughly investigate, to investigate my heart for any shadows that might linger there. And to know, know means uh, it comes from the Hebrew word, just a quick review. It means yada, which means to know intimately. And we know that the heart, the Bible tells us that it's a, it's a deceitful little thing. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, the, the prophet describes the heart as a hardened stone. And that God wants to come down and change our stubborn heart of stone into a heart of flesh that is beating life, blood, to be alive once again, to be humble. So that's our review that we explored. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And for today, we're going to look at 23 part B. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now the Hebrew word for test here is bakan. Bakan can actually be a synonym for search, for the first part, for kakar. However, the difference between kakar and bakan, bakan being test, is this is the best way to really translate it in the English is to test, but to test in the sense of how gold is tested through a fiery furnace. This word bakan is special only to something to that degree. The process of changing a mineral from something that looks like a rock to something that's precious like gold or diamond or silver. That's bakan. So what David is now saying in this part of scripture is he is welcoming God now to test me, to put me into that fiery furnace. Similar to what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They literally went into a fiery furnace. And what happened to them? At the end of that fiery furnace, they were standing tall. Precious like gold. Their faith was precious like gold. Turn your Bibles with me to Job 23, verse 10. We're going to see another reference of this word test, or in the Hebrew, bakan. Job 23, verse 10. It says here, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, when he has bakan, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That's the same word that David is using there for test. He is 
asking for it. Have you ever asked for tribulations? <laughs> Have you ever asked for challenges? Have you ever asked for the crucible of life to be upon you? If you haven't, David has. David has been the one to ask that he be tested. Then the next question we have to ask is, why would he ask for such a thing? Well, it's all about the shadows of the heart. He wants God to illuminate his heart to make sure that there are no shadows in there. So he understands, David understands, that the crucible of life, the challenges we face, the sufferings that we endure, helps us tests our resolve, tests our emotions, tests our anxious thoughts. Which then moving on to the next part of that verse, know my anxious thoughts. That's the same word as last week, yada, no. But this time, anxious thoughts is actually one Hebrew word. It's one Hebrew word. If we were to break that phrase right now, break it down, anxious thoughts, in our modern world, we see that as two different elements. We see thoughts, that is the mental capacity, how we process things. My mental capacity, my mind tells me that when my stomach growls, I am hungry, right? Or if I see two plus two, I know it equals 44. Four. It equals four, right? That's how I know. That's my mind thinking. It's processing. Then our culture today also says there's another element. There's your mental capacity, your thoughts, and then there's your emotions, your anxiety, your desire to love, your ability to hate. However, David in the Hebrew word, saraf, saraf, there's no difference. It's the same. Could we be mistaken as a modern day society to see a difference between the two when maybe there shouldn't be a difference? I do believe in whole person care. Centura, the hospital that we are in, which is Castle Rock Adventist Hospital, part of the Centura system, um, focuses and promotes whole person care, the care of mind, body, and spirit. And throw in their emotional well-being. In Colorado, we have mental health as the top need for Douglas County, Jefferson County, and several other counties around the area. Maybe the mistake that we make is that we separate the two. Maybe we can gain insight from David where he says that this word saraf, it really means disquieting thoughts. Disquieting thoughts. What does that mean then? His mind never stops. He's always worried. He's up at night. You ever wonder why David's writing about the stars? I ask myself, are you ever asleep? And this is why he's up. A million things are running in his head. Some of y'all are smiling. Some of you are shaking your heads because maybe you're that person that lays awake at night 
these disquieting thoughts, anxious thoughts. Saraf, when David uses that word, what he is uh, trying to communicate is that not only is his mind constantly running, but it worries him so much it eats at his stomach. You see? You see how mind and emotions start to come together? Because they were never separated. Why am I giving this message? Is because some Christians don't sit easy when we start talking about emotions. You say, oh no. I know my father is that kind of guy that if you cry, finish the sentence if you know it. I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> yeah, he's that generation. And so I always thought, I can't cry in front of my dad, I can't cry in front of my parents. But the Bible tells us something different. The Bible actually invites us to feel our emotions. The Bible tells us that even God is a God of emotions. We serve an awesome God that feels. I don't know if you've ever really looked at this, but I'd only, I only got eight examples. If you were to do a Bible study, you will find several examples of how God feels, how he experiences emotions throughout the Bible. John 3.16, something that I shared with the kids during children's story, he's a God that loves. And you'll find that the most, that he loves everywhere, even in the Old Testament. Even though we th sometimes think it's not mentioned a lot, well, read Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, love your God with all your heart, soul, and might. That's mentioned there in, their, in the Shema. And then number two, he's a God that has compassion. Matthew 14, 14, it tells us that when Jesus went off the boat, he saw the crowds of people around him and his disciples. And they were, they were tired, they were sick, and they were broken. And the Bible tells me that he had compassion upon them. Also, Moses, well. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. Jonathan is right. Exodus 20, verse 5. A jealous God. That you sh I am such a jealous God that you shall not have any other idols, any other gods before me. John eleven thirty five. we have that story where Jesus, yeah, he wept. Was he weeping for Lazarus? He knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus. No, he was weeping for the unbelievers. It broke his heart so much that there is Jesus, the resurrection and the life right before them. Even Martha couldn't get that picture straight. Even Martha couldn't understand it, that it led Jesus to cry with a broken heart. And number five, I never really picked up on this, but in Proverbs chapter 6, and I can't remember all seven of them, but God hates seven things. Let that be your Bible study tonight if you want to know what that is. He, there's seven things that he hates. I think one of them is uh, gossip, those who, who create gossip, right? Which is connected to one of the Ten Commandments. So 
I'm sorry? Right, yeah, it's connected to that one. You're right, Jonathan. So he is also a God that understands hate. Wow. And number six, he's a God that rejoices. Number seven, it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10, when Solomon went to God and God said, I will give you anything you want. What is it that you would want as you reign to be king? What did Solomon ask for? Did he ask for gold and all the riches in the world? No. Did he ask for women? Did he ask for land? Did he ask for power? No, he asked for wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, the Bible tells us that this pleased God. Hmm. Then number eight tells us that God is an angry God. That his anger burns. I think that's how it's... uh, said, mentioned there in Exodus chapter 15, verse 7. You also want to see another example of God being angry? Well, in in the Gospels, you have Jesus turning over the tables as the money changers are, are doing business in the temple, right? Why am I showing you these examples? It's because the Bible is clear that God is in tune with his emotions that the Bible is clear that we serve, that we were created by a God that has emotions. If you ever want to know, and if you ever ask yourself, I don't know why I cry so much. I don't know why I have this capacity to love. I don't know why I feel joy and happiness. I don't know why I cry when I hit my toe on, on the corner of the table. I don't know. The reason why you do those things, the reason why you're able to feel is because you were created in God's image. God's image is not just a physical look, but also how he feels. And that is why he was able to weep. You know what weeping is? Weeping is empathizing, is understanding another person's pain that you feel their pain so much that you are led to weep with them. And that's what Jesus did. He felt the pain of the people and he wept. He understands our emotions just as, as I hope you understand his emotions. I've shared this concept and thought with a lot of hospital workers when I was a hospital chaplain because I found this useful for their resiliency and self-care if they can understand that their emotions are are important for their well-being. Because something about hospital workers is that they will push their emotions aside. Kind of like, because they have to. If they're going to work 12 hours a day to serve uh, patients in the in the ER or in the ICU. They have to push their emotions down, but some of them do it so often that they never come back to look at those emotions. And then they experience something called burnout. So what I'm proposing today is that, number one, emotions are a good thing. It's a healthy thing. Number two, there, I don't believe there are good emotions or bad emotions. I think emotions are emotions. I think when you feel angry, or when you, feel, uh, when you feel angry or you feel distraught, 
that's a sign that your space has been violated. Your body, your mind is telling you that you are unsafe. Listen to it. If you're, if you're feeling sad or you're feeling depressed or you're grieving, it's because your body is experiencing loss. It's telling you that you love this person so much, you are crying for continuous days. The best thing you can do for yourself is to honor it, to allow yourself to cry, to allow yourself to feel that pain. Not to stay in it, mind you, but to at least experience it and say, why am I feeling this way? Well, I just experienced this in my life. Then the other point I wanted to make, uh, make here is that if God feels, then it's okay for us to feel too. If God feels, it's okay for you to feel too. There's some in here that's probably still struggling with that, and that's okay. I understand that. Some of us are just wired to think, process, right? For me, I'm the feeler. That's why my wife and I balance each other out so well. She's the processor. You know? And we both need each other. I need to say that. We both need each other. Not just my wife and me, but I'm telling you, the ones that are processors and the ones that are feelers, we both need each other. Okay. Next point that I want to make is that emotions that we feel. This is a list of emotions that I got from Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence. Uh, this 10th edition is from his 2005 copy. According to him, he believes that there are eight major emotions, and that's the ones that are in color, in bold print. He believes the eight main emotions are anger, sadness, fear, enjoyment, love, surprise, disgust, and shame. And then under each of those main categories, he thinks, he believes that you can categorize or there's subcategories under each major emotion. Anger has indignation, vexation, acrimony. Fear has anxiety, qualm, edginess. Love has acceptance, friendliness, devotion, infatuation. Disgust has contempt, scorn, and the list goes on. The reason why I'm showing you this list is according to Dr. Goldman, he believes that the average human person, as they're going through a situation in life, let's use death, okay? Going through death, and you ask that person, how do you feel about the loss of your loved one? The average person can only name 12 to 18 emotions. And sometimes when they tell you how they feel, you might even hear these words. Tell me if you've heard this before. And then look, look it up in here. Tell me where it's found under which category. How are you feeling today? I'm fine. How's your day going? Uh, or how are you feeling? How did you feel yesterday? Oh, my week has been good. Are those emotions? They're not. You know, as a chaplain, I use that as an indicator that tells me that they're not in tune with their emotions. They may possibly be pushing their emotions aside. And when you keep doing that enough, you blow up. So I show you this list 
because the next thing that we need to look at is how to use our emotions for spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, if you recall what that is, a spiritual mature life is one that wants to align their life to the likeness of Christ. I'm not saying you're being Christ. What I'm saying is you're aligning your life to be more like the likeness of Christ in every single way, in temperament, in, in how you perceive life, in how you're going to create your goals and your mission, how you're going to treat others. That's spiritual maturity. And emotion, a high emotional um, intelligence is needed for a healthy spiritual mature life so here's from my experiences that i think is very important how to use your emotions for spiritual maturity number one use emotions as a marker kind of like what i shared with keo kai and and sully right to use it like as a sign if i see the rim rocker sign is right here Uh, turning to the left, I'm going to follow that. So how can you use your emotion as a marker? Well, what I have done for myself, uh, as a chaplain, I can go into a situation that can make me angry. But when I start feeling anger, I have learned through a lot of reflection, through a lot of discipline, through a lot of prayer, that once I start to feel anger, I use that as a marker to tell me I need to stop there's something about this situation in the ER that is making me angry. So I need a pause. Don't just keep going. How many of us have done that? That even though in a, maybe it's a business meeting, maybe it's a church meeting, maybe it's a Bible study, maybe it's in a family setting, you're already high-tempered, you're upset, and instead of taking the time to acknowledge that you're upset, you're just going to keep lashing out fighting with your loved one, right? Well, I was just caught up in the moment is the excuse that we like to give. However, next time you feel anger or whatever that emotion is that you're experiencing, use it as a marker to inform you that you're experiencing something that you need to step back. You need to step back, gather yourself, whether that's going to be through prayer, whether that's through taking a deep breath or something else, that's what you do. Number two, once you have recognized the marker and the emotion, identify and name the emotion you feel. That's very important to do. Don't just say anger all the time. Maybe you're feeling vexed. Maybe you're feeling indignation. Maybe you're feeling acrimony. Identify and name it. Because if you can identify and name it, then you will know how to approach it. You will know how to manage it. Never ignore it or push it away. And I've mentioned why not to do that. Number three, reflect on the why. Why am I feeling this way? Your body knows when it has been violated. I'm just going to say the space. Your space has been violated. Your body knows that before you you actually even know it uh, consciously. Subconsciously, your body knows it. 
by the time you're, you consciously know it, sometimes it's already too late. You're already burned out, you're fatigued, you're tired. But if you can reflect on the why, why do I feel this way? Well, it's because this person just insulted me. Then you can reflect on it and, and then, number four, choose a healthy response. I have to emphasize that part, healthy, is very important. You can respond in a very unhealthy way. You can lash out at a person, revenge, right? You can punch them. So choose a healthy response. If I know I'm angry because someone has violated my space, I'm going to pause and stop and say, I need a moment to just gather my thoughts. And if they're not giving it to you, just walk away. Just walk away. Like my mom used to tell me when my sister and I fought, be the bigger person. You are the older sibling. Just walk away. Oh, but I can't. I need to be right. What was the downfall of Satan? It was pride. Pride was the downfall of Satan. He had to be right. How to use our emotions for spiritual maturity. You know, you think about the characters in the Bible. Since this is David who, the text that we're studying, uh, teach me, search me, O God, since David is the author, if you look at David's life, if you recall a couple of sermons ago or a couple of months ago, I preached on how he was able to withhold himself from striking Saul, from fighting back. Do you know why he was able to do that? Spiritual maturity. He was in tune with his emotions. And when he needed to let his emotions out, he did it at the proper time, fighting Goliath, right? When he saw Saul in the cave, he said, no, I'm not going to strike him down. He held back his, I don't know what he was feeling. Maybe he was feeling anger. Maybe he was feeling a disgust. Whatever he was feeling, he was able to hold it back and tell his men, I'm not going to strike Saul because he's God's anointed. He felt what he was feeling, yet he was able to rationalize. That's how you balance the two. The saraf. That's spiritual maturity. You know what spiritual maturity is? It's a word that we don't often hear anymore in our church. Adventist church and Christian church, it's called sanctification. You remember those words? Justification is when someone finds Jesus for the first time in their life. They experience Jesus' love. They want to give their life to Jesus. They become baptized. They repent of their sins. And then the next part, justification, can happen like a blink in the eye, a blink of the eye, like the thief on the cross. But sanctification is the longer process of where you're being changed. And what's being changed? It's not your body. It's not your physical well-being. Peter and the other apostles, as they walked with Jesus, what changed in them? It wasn't their bodies. It was their spiritual outlook. It was their attitude. It was their feelings. It was their emotions. Do you see how important this is for our spiritual walk with one another 
and with God. I propose today we have a strong and healthy outlook and a good understanding of our emotions. To be, to know how to manage our emotions and not just say, well, that's how I am. That's my culture. If I lost my temper right now as your pastor, is that going to fly by you if I said, well, that's my culture. You're just going to have to live with it. No, I bet you some of you are going to be calling the conference office and saying, hey, we need a new pastor because Edray just blew his top. And I would understand that. The bakan, just a quick review. Remember, the bakan, bakan means test, but I'm using this in a, in a very illustrative way, calling it really not just the test, but the fiery furnace, the bakan. This is best summarized in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. Paul hit the nail. He really hit the nail in this verse. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that sufferings, uh, suffering produces perseverance. Now, this part is important. Perseverance produces what? Character. And if you're not in tune with your emotions, if you have low emotional intelligence, you're not going to develop character. And then character develops hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love, uh, poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You see, that is, to me, I believe Paul amplifies or exemplifies the, the Christian life in just this text right here. Paul understands that we've come from one point we come from suffering, we come from prejudice, we come from uh, trials and tribulations, but through those trials and tribulations, we're, God does not expect us to stay in there. He wants us to persevere. He wants us to grow. He wants us to develop character, a Christ-like character. A Christ-like character. I often think about that especially when we come to the holidays or Easter when Jesus is, is taken to Pilate and, and to, who is the priest, the high priest? Caiaphas. And he's taken back and forth. And, and this whole time, I'm just thinking, how can you not fight back? How can you remain so patient? It's because Jesus has character. Well, that's Jesus well, then what about the other apostles, Peter and Paul? As they met their doom, they were able to meet their doom faithfully because they have character. Because they didn't ignore their emotions. They didn't ignore how they were wired. They were in tune to it. Where's the word attuned? Then the last thought that I want to leave with you all today because this is what it's all about. We are to reflect the likeness of Christ in our attitude, in our character. Paul says it in here in 1 Corinthians 3, 17, 18. I believe that should be 2 Corinthians, not, not 1 Corinthians. Can someone double check me, make sure that's the correct one? Is that correct, Eric? 
It's 2 Corinthians? Okay, thank you. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Amen. I love this text. This text is the best way to summarize this entire message, this entire sermon, that we are transformed into his likeness And if we are to be transformed into his likeness, then we should have the attitude of Jesus in all things, in good or bad. You know, Job was a wonderful character who understood this. And you know his trials and tribulations. You know the losses that Job endured. Yet when his wife told him, you know what, just curse God to his face for everything that you have suffered what was job's response he says if i can accept the good why can i not accept the bad an answer of faith an answer of faith because job understood who he was you and i need to understand who i am and you need to understand who you are reflect on your life Have this life of reflection where you pause and think about the emotions that you experience. So here's my challenge to you. I used to do this challenge. um, Actually, it wasn't just a challenge, but it was an actual workshop that I did with some hospital associates, and I'm doing it with a couple of our church members right now as we speak. I I encourage people to, to journal. There's one column, okay? One column date and time. The second column is the emotion that you feel. And then the third column is when you feel angry or sad, what time and date did that happen? And then the third column is what was the situation? What was happening that made you feel that way? And then the fourth column, write how did I respond? And then if you really want to commit to this, you start doing this for, I, I did this for six months as a resident chaplain, and it changed my life around. I realized I was too judgmental. I realized I got angry too soon, too fast. And when I journaled my emotions every single day, just not every single moment of my day, but just the key situations, the key moments, I started to learn more about myself. I learned that I'm just not an angry guy. I'm also an empathetic guy. I didn't know that about myself. I'm a guy that's also reflective. You learn so much about who you are through something that's already been given to you by God. And that's through your emotions. Learn more about who you are by praying to God, just like what David said, search me, oh God. Search me. Let me know what the shadows of my heart. Let me know what the shadows are so I can change them 